Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You got Stephen Asentoski here. I know you're used to the beautiful voice of David Arnold kicking you off here. Uh, but it is I, Stephen Asentoski, um, with me today. I got a newcomer, new gun, making a name for himself, Harry Hillman over here. Harry, what are we talking about today? What's the significance of today? What's going today, on? Today, Stephen, is the kickoff of the national early signing day period today through friday yes sir. and prospects signed officially committed um they'd have to transfer to go anywhere else so most of the classes around the country are about 90 to 95 percent complete so it's a nice little celebration of the last 11 to 13 months of recruiting for a lot of these coaching staffs yeah it, it's exciting it's an it's an interesting shift over from uh from when it used to be in February, that was like a big, like end all of be all. And now you have it shifted to where a lot of coaches want everyone, you know, signed early. And it's like you said, it's gotta be 90, 95% of recruits fill out. And then, uh, yeah, it's an interesting shift. How, how do you think that's like affected recruiting overall? And like what? I think that yeah. it's taken quite a bit of leverage away from, if you look at recruiting on the bell curve, you have, like 20% of guys that are really substandard FBS prospects, about 60% that are really solid to pretty good, and then 20% that are elite. I think that 60% loses a lot of leverage because these are guys that may be committed to a school that they think is their dream school, but that's really pressuring them to sign early, right? The five stars, the high four stars, those guys are going to have all the leverage in the world. Yeah. But if you look at a three-star, and I'll just use Michigan's class as an example. Mm-hmm. If you take, like, a high three, low four, like, say, Makari Page. Yep. Right? That's a guy that is a talented kid, but coaches might be pretty hard-pressed to say, like, we want you to sign early. If you don't, we're not going to count you as part of our class. We're going to say you're uncommitted because you're not committing to us. So, um on the other hand, I, I talked to um, several parents over the last couple of days just to check in on things, and a lot of them were like, my son would sign right now if it meant his phone was going to stop blowing up off the hook. I'm sure. So there, there's some really good things about it, whereas these kids get to be legitimate high school students. They get to be legitimate kids until they go off to college. And there's some other sides of it where you're getting kids – Kind of like put the pressure on to sign, even if it's in their best interest, to go to a couple other visits, to check out a few other schools, because we will have some coaching turnover starting tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And I I think that's the scariest thing that I've seen is that like before when it was in February, I wouldn't say all coach turnover is done. But it's really like after the bowl game. That's when you see most of it, right? At least 90% of it. People who are worth going to different programs or are going to have uh, improvement in jobs. That happens usually after the bowl game. And uh, you put coaches in really a no-win situation. Because like you can't really... like. Sure, you can be honest with them. But you're going to lose out on... you know If you're firing somebody, you don't want... You know, put that kid in a tough spot, but then again, you don't want to be dishonest with them. So it's a no-win situation for coaches. And like you said, you went through all of the negatives for uh, the recruits themselves. It takes a lot of power away from them. So, so yeah, I think it's kind of a bummer. It's uh, 
it's interesting. Like it, it, I, I do think there are some positives, but I think the negatives, especially around the, the coaching carousel and the timing of that, uh, really negatively affect that. Yeah. I mean, with the last signing day, really the, the last coach movement we'd see is from college to pro. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of the pro position coaching jobs, they'd come open. Right. Right. For the Super Bowl, it's where a lot of teams are starting to fill their staffs. We saw it with, it was, um, it wasn't Tony Alf, was it Tony Alford who, the Ohio State running back coach with, with Mike Weber. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that was him. Yeah. So he, he took a job with the Bears that had only opened a couple days before. So that's really, that was really the, the extent of it. So sure. it wasn't impacting a lot of guys, but there will be quite a few position coaches finding new jobs tomorrow. Yeah. And there will be quite a few kids saying like, wait, like what the hell just happened? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the nature of it. Mm-hmm. So, so now that we're, you know, we're, we're past the day, we got guys signed. I want to hear, um, who you think is, uh, who's like the number one guy, the guy who, who signed on, on like today you saw their, you know, their image on the, uh, from the Umish football official Twitter page. And you're like, thank God we signed this guy. Whether it was either because, you know, we weren't sure we were going to sign him or hold on to him. I know there was a couple guys that were maybe only one or two that were really looking uh, on a couple of visits after they committed. Or if it's someone that you just really like their skill set. Who's that one guy for you? Um, I would say the one guy, honestly, R.J. Moten for me. Interesting. I, I love, love, love R.J. Moten's game. I think he's someone that I think 247 has him just inside the top 100. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't realize, he's going to be playing on Michigan's baseball team next year as well. Yeah, He's a legitimate two-sport athlete. Baseball camps took away a lot of his ability to go to some of these football camps um, where a lot of the scouts congregate. He went to a small school in New Jersey. Scouts aren't going to these small schools around because it's just not as efficient for them. Yep. They're congregating at the big schools, the big time matchups, and then the camp circuit over the summer. And he's someone that from watching his game and watching his skill set, uh, I actually gave a, a Jabril Peppers comparison to him because he's a shorter, like 5'11", 6 foot, yep. stocky, athletic kid that's really strong and can play Viper, can play weak side linebacker, and can play straight up safety. And he's going to be a difference maker in special teams. Yeah. I love, love, love his game. Didn't think I'd love it as much as I did, but in my opinion, he's probably a top 30 to 35 player in this class. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, when you have someone, I mean, he's on like legit MLB draft radars mm-hmm. right now. So like when you have a guy who focuses that much on that, uh, his dad played in the NFL. So coming from good bloodlines as a multi-sport athlete, um, yeah, I mean, he he primarily played running back. Um, I mean, he plays safety as well, obviously. But but yeah, I mean, all over the field, he's you know, like you said, on special teams as well. So he did all for his high school as well as baseball. So I, I think that's a that's a pretty, and, and we need those guys. You know, we got Dax Hill. We saw the importance of having those higher athletic safeties out there, and we got burned. You know. At, at least against Ohio State, um, past couple of years with with lesser athletic safeties, just because you know it's kind of been our our talent pool as of late. And I think with this class, you're seeing a much more shift for the most athletic 
safeties we can get. And we took quite a bit in this class. So, I mean, his numbers don't stand out too much to me. I mean, a, a 4.62 4. official 40, 4.31 shuttle, really good vertical at about 41 inches. That's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's plenty for a safety though. You know, like I, you're not, yeah. you're not going to see too many for, uh, you know, four, four guys at the safety position there. Those are the actual five stars. So we'll see if that speed actually comes to, uh, to bite him. But I think it, it's a pretty good bet um, that the he'll project, especially considering he had a Columbia offer, a Duke offer. So the mm-hmm. academic aspect of that, him, him being able to pick up the defense quickly will be there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and, and what I liked most about seeing his numbers, like you mentioned, the, the speed and the agility, they're pluses, but they're not outrageous, like, oh, my God, this guy is a speed demon. Right. But what stuck out to me was his vertical. Yeah. That shows a lot of explosiveness. It does. Right. Even if he's not really going to, um, like, high point that many balls, he's an explosive guy. He'll get in and out of cuts well, whether he's running with the ball or going to tackle someone. I, I'm just really, really impressed with his athletic makeup sure. and with his just football playing ability. Yep. No, I think that's a safe that's a safe bet for sure. I think my if I had to choose one guy, um, and it, it's tough. There, there's two I'm choosing between. It's either Selden or Roman Wilson. I think I like <laughs> Roman Wilson quite a bit. Um, I mean, he tested extremely well. He's the wide receiver out of uh, Honolulu. He, he put it, yeah. Um, St. Louis High School in Honolulu. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. The uh, he posted a four point three seven forty at the opening regional back in I think twenty eighteen. Uh, he tested that and then put up a four point zero nine shuttle the first time at that same. And then he improved that to a sub four shuttle, a three point nine six. Um, and then he improved his vertical as well a year later uh, to a thirty nine vertical. So this is a guy who who tests extremely well. Um, he is on the slight side, you know, he's definitely going to be in the same mold as a, as a Jackson or a Saner still, you know, only, you know, six foot, but 175. So he's going to have to add some weight, how that affects his speed. Obviously it'll be a, uh, a, a big ask there, but you know, thin build, he does, you know, he's evaluated to have a frame that he can add mass without sacrificing explosiveness. So that's, you know, obviously really important at the position he'll play. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, being from Honolulu, you're not, you know, even going to some of those camps, it's hard to get uh, evaluation at the same level as most guys. So, um, you know, I, I, I just see him as a guy, who, if you test that well, you're you're going to be a dude. Like, I, mm-hmm. and it's such a, I, I feel like it's such an easy position now to project pretty well. Like we saw... Jackson was a tested like a testing freak. Um, Sainer still a little bit less so, but still found production later in the year, and he's just like an extension of that. You know, he might be fighting for for reps early on, but uh, but man, a four three seven sub four four speed, um, even at six foot, you know that that's that'll get you somewhere with a forty inch vertical that he's close to. So mm-hmm. I agree. So. I I haven't had the the chance to really watch him as much i've got a scouting report um coming out on jalen harrell and dan biari villari however you want to pronounce it yep roman wilson's up there um so i mean 
I know 247 gave him a Mecole Hardman comparison, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty apt and I think would be outstanding. And, yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about him except for I think he can play. His measurables are off the charts good for wide receiver, and I think he's a really talented kid. That, And I, I think if you're to look bigger picture at the makeup of this class, I I really do think that Jim Harbaugh is trying to pry kids away from some of these areas that really aren't hit as heavily on the recruiting circuit. I mean, you just go down, you've got, um, I mean, Illinois, Michigan, Massachusetts, a couple New Jersey's, a couple more Massachusetts, Hawaii, uh, Colorado, a couple New York's. Um, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of Northeast and way out West. Yeah. Right, and I think a lot of that has to do with just trying to keep those recruiting ties strong for when the landscape does change, probably next year. Because, yeah, you can go out and get a bunch of studs from California, but that's probably done after next year. So um, that, that was just something that stuck out to me. A lot of guys from states where you typically don't see as many um, scouts just – flocking around right i mean i can tell you illinois probably not a ton or else i would have been a four or five star player back in my day so <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure yeah <laughs> it's not, not enough five ten jewish kids in division one college football so um so yeah well uh, and then just a couple other guys that i'm a really really big fan of yeah um jeffrey percy probably my favorite offensive player he's got a massive frame yeah i'm not sure if you saw the picture on twitter of um him and his high school coach pat harlow mm-hmm. pat harlow's six 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 seven jeffrey percy has at least an inch on him yeah he's big he's a six seven six eight kid really flexible used to play tight end and has the ability to probably put on 40 or 50 pounds with ease yeah and i i do believe that the the best players come in between 250 and 270 pounds to play tackle oh absolutely it's really really freaking hard to carry three 320 pounds well as a 17 18 year old kid right i have a few anomalies your dexter lawrence's and your cam robinson's but very rarely are those guys escaping clemson or alabama right right so if you can get a guy like jeffrey percy that has been rising through the ranking significantly he was just outside the 800 in May, and now he's just inside the top 247, I think. Yep. Great frame. He'll be an auto red shirt. Right. He probably won't see the field a ton his red shirt freshman year, but then after that, once he spends time with uh, Herbert and Abigail O'Connor, he, he should be a star. Right. So he's probably he – and, he and Moten are probably my, my two favorite players, one offensive, one defensive, just because I, I think – those are both guys that there's a lot when you look at them where there's a lot of projection involved, but it's safe projection. Right. Whereas A.J. Henning, he's a great football player, but you kind of know what role he's going to fit. That's true. Yeah, and, and I love getting uh, exactly what you said, the offensive linemen who have that frame, six seven. You look at the guy who's, who's he's at like 265, 270 right mm-hmm. now. That's really easy to see 
that building. You know, if it's a six three, six four guy, you're like, okay, maybe he'll stay there. It's possible we can put on an extra twenty pounds, but what's his max? Six seven, you can put on a lot onto that frame. Mm-hmm. And given that you're not already at three hundred pounds, your ability to just physically overpower guys is a lot less in high school. So it's tough because I think a lot of those three hundred pound guys, like you said, if they have that technique, that's a five star. Because a, a five star is essentially you could probably play in the NFL with your skill set because those are the guys who have the technique with the size where they can start day one. So the only reason that I see based off of uh, his profile is that he's just not at the size yet. And that's perfect. You have the athleticism to play as a high school tight end. You're likely learning all of the technique that's necessary to overpower people you're going to have that fluidity, that bend, because you need to do that to be successful at that level at your current size. So I, I agree totally. That's that's yeah. That's a huge focus um, of offensive linemen that we've had. And we're starting to see it like Jalen Mayfield was a guy who had to really uh, fill in. Ryan Hayes was a guy uh, who had to fill in. So it's, it's a clear approach that that's kind of the mold of tackle to go after. And uh, like you said, it, it's outside of maybe interior defensive tackle recruits locking down those offensive tackle guys who are already at that size is near impossible because mm-hmm. it's just regionally they're they're so rare in the, in the midwest and, and anywhere that michigan really recruits so so yeah i think that's a good one if i were to go with um my second favorite would be probably andre selden just because Every camp film I watch of him, it's clear he's tiny, right? He's 5'8", 150. He's a tiny, tiny guy. But I don't see him losing any reps. And these are these are the camp films where he's, you know, going against other four-star, five-star guys. And mm-hmm. I do think that despite being below average height and weight, those reps are are what's important. Like, he's, he's not getting burned at any times I can see. And he's able to do the little things really, really well. He, it's like every other like Michigan um, recruit I've seen where they have the intricacies of the spot pretty down where, you know, the subtle grab here and there just ways to that. You kind of saw a lot of Ohio state's defensive backs as well, where they can get away with just enough contact to stick with it. And that makes up for a lot of his size. So I think he's, his technique is extremely good already. If he can put on, you know, maybe an inch and, and 20 pounds with that technique he already has, I think he's he's going to project really well. And I think he was just really important because who else is Michigan really getting at the cornerback position? That I think that's the biggest need that Michigan has outside of interior defensive line. And I want to get your take on that because we didn't we don't have a single uh, recruit in this class of interior defensive line. Is that mainly just because of how the class shaked out? Do you see any of these defensive ends really growing into that role? I know we just signed a guy, um, Van Sumeren for, you know, that's a distant future. That's a 2022 guy. But what, what do you think Michigan's approach there is on not taking any specific interior defensive lineman this year? So, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's something that I feel pretty strongly about. And that's outside of maybe the top five to ten guys. Interior defensive line is 
probably one of the worst positions to recruit in the country. And, and it goes back to what I was saying about uh, offensive tackles over 300 pounds, really hard to carry that weight well. Yep. And I was going back, I was looking. If you look at the defensive tackles drafted in the NFL since 2015, in the top three rounds since 2015, the top 56% of them were not defensive tackles coming out of high school. That's an interesting stuff. If six percent were either strong side defensive ends, or in Taven Bryan's case, he was a, a big offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Right. So what that says to me, again, if you're gonna get those like anomalies of all anomalies, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Ed Oliver, like the five star no doubters, then yeah, take those guys. But also, like you alluded to earlier. Those guys aren't popping up regionally in the Midwest. Those are Southeastern guys. Yeah. So it really comes down to, do you want to get the best players on the field or do you want to get just guys for the sake of recruiting? Because we saw people were wondering why Hinton was on the field and not Mozzie Smith later in the year. And that's because with those 300-pound guys like Mozzie Smith, one of the issues with him was effort. It's hard to get those heavy, young defensive tackles playing hard consistently. And so I'm actually really okay with what Michigan did this class to address that issue because they have two guys, in my opinion, Aaron Lewis and Chris Jenkins Jr., that have that frame to put on 45, 50 pounds if need be, right? Yeah. I don't think – people always like to say that Michigan needs these massive defensive tackles, and – I don't agree with it at all. I mean, the 2016 defense is probably the best defense in recent memory in Michigan history. Do you want to know how many 300-pounders they had rotating in at tackle? It's got to be zero, right? It's zero. Yeah. Glasgow was was uh, listed at 298. Hearst was 283, 284. Yeah. And Matt Godin rotated in it like a 287. Yeah. So it's you don't need massive space pluggers in a four-three defense. Um, so I'm really okay with it because if you look at some of the guys Michigan has taken recently, I mean you even go back to 2018. Um, they, they've got Juice Welshoff and um, who's the former NFL players kid Upshaw. Upshaw. Yeah. Those are big dudes that I think could have put on the weight and slid inside, and I, I really projected them to do that. Yeah. So I, I'm not really concerned with it at all. Um, obviously, if you're going to get like a five-star, a high four-star, like freak of nature, you lock him down. Like Aubrey Solomon, absolutely recruit that guy. Yep. But it's like, let's, I just want to take a look real quick. This is going to be some bad radio, but at the, I don't know, like the 23rd best defensive tackle in the country. I just want to see how big he is because I would bet, I would bet the twenty third best defensive tackle is probably north of three hundred pounds. Yeah, probably like six three maybe. Yeah, probably like six three three hundred, because unless you go to a football factory, if you have the athleticism and the size, they're putting you at defensive end out of high school. That's true. 
right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not going to put you right in the middle just to plug up. They're putting you in a position no. to make plays. So you're right. The guys who, the guys who are true defensive tackles are like the same guys who are true centers. Exactly. I was just about to bring that up. That's yeah. like Caesar Ruiz. How many of those guys are there? <laughs> not many. And Caesar yeah. Ruiz, football factory guy. It's yeah. like. Okay, so Johnny Brown's the 23rd best tackle. Yep. He's 6'2". Okay. Okay, he's 6'2", 250. So yeah. he's from Florida. Okay, the 22nd best defensive tackle, 6'7", 340. Jesus. Right? Yeah, he, he's going to Alabama. Jason Jones, he'll probably work out since he's going to Bama. Sure. But it's like there's a reason these guys aren't playing defensive end. It's either – they don't have the athleticism or they're too big or something in, along that line. Yeah. And with Chris Jenkins, he's a guy that, I mean, NFL bloodlines, Colin Jenkins is his brother. And then his dad, Chris also played in the NFL. Yep. I'm confident he'll be able to put the weight on. Sorry. I just had to plug my charger in. No, you're okay. Cool. And then Aaron Lewis, he's another two-sport athlete, a really talented basketball player. Um, 6'5", 245, played all over his defense. He, These are both really lean guys. So when you put 25, 30, 35 pounds on them, they're going to have a lot of that athleticism with them. Yeah. So with interior defensive line, no, I'm not – I don't think it's that big a deal because if Michigan needed a defensive tackle – to make or break next year, they're already in trouble. Yeah, that's fair. And I think you, you look back at 2017, and that was the year where I feel like Michigan really went heavy on defensive tackle, at least, because they had Aubrey Solomon, uh, Luigi Luigi Vill, Villane. I think that's how you pronounce yeah. his name. But he was 6'4", 240, so you can, you know, he could potentially bulk up a bit. You had uh, uh, James Hudson as well. He was already at 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. You had Irving Bay, who was at 280 as a defensive end. Um, Corey Malone Hatcher was another guy. Donovan Jeter. Uh, so that's, you know, and, and that's not even taking into account Quiddy Pay. And Quiddy Pay is the only name that really, uh, you know, stands out today as a contributor. You know, you had a couple transfers there. Uh, Villain was struck with injuries. So that's a lot of guys that uh constricts your ability to switch around or you you know you you can't really play around with the guys you have or just because of how few of those guys actually uh panned out and some some are just unfortunate like like aubrey solomon transferring that's a killer i mean he he was a Mm five-star guy you you can't predict for that villain was a high four-star he was 57th natural like or nationally and he just didn't pan out, right? You got injuries. What are you going to do? Um, so I feel like it's it's the issue is exacerbated just by the uh, the issues that we had with the 2017 class, and those are things you can't foresee. So when the 2018 class can, comes around, what are you going to do? Take the same number of people? At that point, you have all of your guys redshirting. You can't predict what would happen with all of those guys. So mm. I think it's it's more of just unfortunate rather than like a miss by the recruiting class. Cause a lot of those guys were projected to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And whether it was disciplinary or, you know, Solomon, different things going on. So he, he transferred injuries, um, 
Malone Hatcher was a four star who who had to medically retire. So it's just like like I get why people are frustrated, but uh, but it, it's a bummer. But what's your take yeah. at uh at cornerback? I want to I want to hear what you have because obviously we're taking a bunch of safeties. Um, you don't see very often a whole lot of safeties. Uh, you know, moving over to the cornerbacks. I know we have Ambry Thomas coming back next year. Uh, you'll hope that Vincent Gray steps up. Um, but outside of Selden, I, I don't think we have any other cornerbacks. I know we have Eamon Dennis as an athlete committed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's your take on kind of like the projection of that, the guys we took in the 2020 class and how that will affect that position? In the, in the 2020 class, it's I'd be lying if, if I said that cornerback wasn't a bit of a concern. I, I would bet money that Darian Green Warren, the top 200 corner from California, comes to Michigan. But, again, he's going to be a freshman next year. That's never something that you want to rely on. Yeah. And this has come back to something I've thought for a bit. And that's that the, the 2018 recruiting class, it's really going to kind of rear its ugly head this upcoming year when those are guys that would have been red shirt sophomores and, and juniors. Yeah. Because, I mean, you look at that class, I mean, Miles Sims gone. Uh, um, one of the – Gemin or Giamin Green, mm-hmm. one of them. They, they've been okay. They've been solid special teams guys. They could step up. But uh, Sammy Faustin hasn't done a whole lot. Vincent Gray has been solid. Um, so there's some holes I don't think it's it's a huge deal until you look at game 12 where we kind of need some exceptional cornerback play come game 12. Right. And you know what? Like, it's a concern. It's not something that I'd feel good about saying is, oh, yeah, we'll take care of that. Defensive tackle, I feel pretty confident they'll take care of it. Corner, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, because I see enough guys at defensive tackle uh, to step up, I think, I think Welshchoff is going to be a guy because, you know, he came from Germany. He's a guy who, who had a lot of size, extremely athletic, hasn't made an impact yet. But I think there's just a ton of ramp up. We knew he was going to be a project. So yeah. I think there's plenty of guys on the back burner uh, to step in at defensive tackle. Um, there's still a shot at Kemp coming back. I'm not sure if he will. but I think, I think it's official. I think he's coming back. That's good. That's I good. I think he and 1-4 both coming back. Yeah. Um, so, like – like you said, there's enough there. And at cornerback, I think it's it's a thing where athleticism is definitely needed. That um, That's hard to make up. Like, technique is, is one thing. I think Vincent Gray has shown that his um, – he was, you know, probably lower ranked than he should have been. But he still doesn't, you know, jump out at you as a, as a main, uh, you know – plus in the athleticism. I think you're going to have to rely a lot on Dax Hill. I don't know if they'll deploy him in a lot more. Like I would match him up on, you know, maybe not the number one wide receiver. That'll be Ambry Thomas, but number two guy for sure in, in game 12, like you said, to just match that athleticism. But that's just a, a thing that you can't really fake. You can't fake speed. And that's the number one speed on speed matchup that, uh, that I'm not mm-hmm. sure we have the solution for right now. But again, I mean, we we you know Vincent Gray's a plus. That was you know I think the lowest rated uh, cornerback from that class, and he's the guy. So it's possible that uh, you know the other guys can just take a, a little bit of time for development. But um, that's yeah. true. 
but there's also, and I can't remember who, who I read it from. It might have been Ace or one of the dudes at MGO blog, but I think cornerback has the highest correlation to success rate and star rating out of any other position. I believe yeah. offensive line is the lowest. So it's just, if you if you look at it, Michigan has done exceptionally well with the, the blue chip guys they've signed at corner. Uh, David Long, LaVert Hill, yep. um, Ambry Thomas, really top-notch elite guys. Yeah. Really talented guys. The sleepers haven't really panned out as well. They still could. They've taken they've taken a lot of tall, rangy, athletic guys that could vacillate between safety and corner pretty easily. I'm interested to see how that works out. They're going to have a lot of length in the secondary, but length doesn't matter too too much if you can't stand from a someone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's just a, a wait and see, but I think we're we're pretty well aligned there that it's a uh it's it's not going to be solved right away and that it, it might take a bit of time to get there and there's i think it's clearly the most unknown going into the season i think transitioning to a, a different position that i think michigan's going into the season was probably the least known position going into 2019 that in 2020 is going to be I think the clear strength, I would argue the strongest position on the team, it's got to be running back. I mean, you have yep. you have Chris Evans coming back. You have Zach Charbonnet. And then you have Hassan Haskins, who I don't know if he'll be second string or third string, but that's a pretty damn good second or third string guy you have there. Mm-hmm. And then you have Blake Corum coming in, who's probably one of my favorite recruits um, that I still don't understand how he didn't crack the top 100 nationally. Um I mean, he, he's a small guy at 5'8", you know, but he, he's Bill. He's, he's got a good frame already at 193. He's a guy who could, um, you know, he'll likely redshirt just because you have three guys who will be able to contribute, you know, throughout the season. And you really don't need a fourth guy like Corum coming into the season. But um, do you, I mean, am I correct in that assessment? Do you, do you see Corum redshirting and, and how do you think, he'll fit in to the lineup, maybe not next year, but down the line. What do you like about his game? I, I mean, I, I would say I'm probably 50-50 in terms of him redshirting, just because when you have guys that talented, you're not sure how long they're going to be around the program. So you want to make it an impact instantly. That's fair. Um, but in terms of it, I, I agree with you. The only reason I see him the, – the only reason I can think of him not being in the top 100 – concerns about his frame which i think are way overblown he's not darren sproles size where one hit might put him out for the year he's a strong kid yeah he's a tough kid like ohio state was still going after him up until today yep so i i think he's probably a little underrated i wouldn't he's close enough though where i wouldn't bang the drum and and say it's a travesty but yeah in terms of how he fits I, I agree with you. It's it's going to be a log jam in the backfield. The only way I could see it loosening up a bit is if Chris Evans gets deployed a little bit more as an H-back slot receiver, which I think is possible because he played a lot of both in high school. Yep. He's a bit more of a versatile guy. You don't need to just hand him the ball in between the tackles. You can get him the ball in space a bit easier on that end. And if you do that, then you're looking at giving Charbonnet, Haskins, and a little bit of Blake Corum spelling 25, 30 carries a game. Break it down to like 12, 12, 5. 
Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think it's it's funny. I was I was just reading over his uh evaluation and like you said, he's not gonna be like a Darren Sproles guy where you're afraid about him. Like he ran between the tackles quite a bit and he went to an extremely strong high school that played, I mean, St. Francis Academy in, in Maryland, they play the IMGs of yeah. the world. Well, no, he, he put up, I think 200 yards and three touchdowns on IMG. Yeah. I watched that. It was incredible. Yeah. He trucked, um, I think it was Lejon Cavazos, the uh, Ohio state safety or Lathan Ramsom. I mixed those two up. One of them's at IMG. One of them's in Arizona. Yeah. Trucked one of them on the sidelines. Dude looks for contact. Yeah. He is a star. Right. And when, when you go up against that kind of competition, like nothing is just handed to you. Like he had to work for a lot of those yards. So like that's the number one thing I look for. Like how well, like how big are these, you know, kind of truck drive through these holes that, you know, these, I mean, because he has a lot of talent on the offensive line as well. But when you're playing the, those talented defenses, of the world. Like you have to do a lot of work yourself. And he was. Mm -hmm. And I think the second thing I usually look for, if, you know, if you're doing the work yourself, are you falling forward? That was the thing with Zach Charbonnet, where the, the guy is big. Charbonnet was huge. And he was, you know, he sought out contact and he was falling forward and he's continued that. That's my favorite thing about probably both him and Haskins is their ability to pick up an extra two or three yards after contact when they're going down. And even at five, eight, you know, this evaluation says they're concerned about him being physically maxed out. Sure. He might not be more than five, eight, but he's able to hold 200 pounds and yes. him being, him being able to, to keep churning his leg, his leg strength and ability to always fall forward. Despite that small size going against strong competition and showing that on film consistently, that's like, that's all I need to see. Like that's I don't care if you're five eight. If you're uh, if you're two hundred pounds and you're able to do that with a four 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 point four four forty time, then it's like okay. Like I don't I don't see the concern that the evaluations are, are having about his ability to run between the tackles or being physically maxed out because. I don't know. Usually when guys are physically maxed out, that's what brings them closer to a five-star rating. But it seemed as a, as a ding for him just because, you know, he's, he's on the shorter side. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him. I think it'll be a, a fun position to watch next year. And because uh, I saw a crazy stat, I think since – is it – I'm not sure if it was 2005 or since 2000. Or maybe it was 2010. I think, yeah, since 2010, Michigan hasn't had a single running back drafted. A single yeah. running back drafted. No running backs. Yeah, it's crazy. You look at Ohio State, and I hate to do that, but they went from, and I'm going to butcher one of these I know, but they went from, uh, not Ezekiel Elliott, no, who they have now? Um, Carlos Hyde, Beanie Wells. Yeah, Carlos Hyde, Beanie Antonio Wells, Pittman. Antonio Pittman. You had Zeke Elliott. Mike Weber was the only like fringe guy who I think was undrafted free agent. And then you go to um, J.K. Dobbins straight after that. I mean, that's not coming. Uh, Curtis Samuel. Yeah, Curtis Samuel. Was, I think the H back that still got 15 carries a game. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like Michigan's had, I would say, like some decent running backs, like Fitz Toussaint his sophomore year. That was like an NFL year for him really but i mean it, it's crazy to think that outside of denard who is drafted as a running back but obviously uh not true position but um i don't know i could conceivably see 
you know, next year having three guys who will be drafted at some point. And again, I'm knocking on wood right now, but I don't think that's crazy. Like I don't, I look at that and I consider myself a pretty rational guy. I don't think that's crazy to think there's three NFL draftees on Michigan's in Michigan's running back room next year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so at all. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty, I mean, Charbonnet and Haskins barring injury, I would say I feel pretty comfortable saying that they're next level guys. Chris Evans, we'll see how he comes back. Yeah, he could yeah. be. Blake Corum, I mean, I think he's awesome. Um, I think I'm going to start uh, because of David's crazy, Hassan Haskins better balance uh, than Mike Hart. I think I'm going to start picking a running back to say they have a better something than Mike Hart. Yeah. And you know what? Um, Blake Corum's got better vision than, than Mike Hart. Let's just let's just use that. Uh, Charbonnet's got better size. Haskins has got better balance. Sure. We'll just break down Mike Hart a bit. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. Some I, I want. Have you gotten a chance to look at Dan Valari at all? I have not. He, he's for listeners. He's the quarterback that just committed. Um, but no, have you have you taken a look at him? Yeah, I've I've watched a decent amount yesterday. I finished my Jalen Harrell uh, scouting report and felt a little frisky, so I went to Valari <laughs> because I'd been hearing uh, some rumors that if Stroud did what we expected, yeah. that Valari would commit by Friday. Yep. And you know what? I was really, really shocked with, with what I saw. Yeah. In, in a good way. I'm not saying he's going to be like the next great Michigan quarterback, but – He's got a little bit of um, just, and I'm gonna. I'm, I don't want you to think he's as good as him. He's got a little bit of Tim Tebow in it. That's what I've heard. Like, he's a he's like six three, two twenty five. The dude can run. Yeah, I think part of the the beauty of taking Dan Valari is instead of maybe a guy that's a little higher ranked, Valari I think will be an excellent guy to, if need be, move to tight end, H back, fullback, or linebacker. He's he runs uh, basically a five flat. He's got some pretty solid measurables, but he runs through guys. Yeah, like he is very athletic on the field. I I would have put him at maybe a four seven four eight guy. Those measurables going into it. Yeah, but he's an athletic dude. Um, again, we'll see. We got JJ McCarthy and coming in the five star quarterback uh, from Nazareth Academy the year after. Potentially Nico Marichal the year after. We're getting ahead of ourselves now, but uh, Valari is a, is a nice flyer. Yeah, obviously it's, and, and you have to give it the the caveat of Michigan's quarterback that they're planning and building around had a really really unfortunate thing happen to him. Sure, they're caught out of the blue. It's not like they just struck out on their quarterbacks. Right, their plan A was like swept out from under him. And by the time it was time to recover, plans B through like F were already done. Right. So when you consider that, I think it's a really solid um, commit for them. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, his footwork isn't great, but he's got a really strong arm. If he cleans up the footwork, I can see him being, being a real dude at the quarterback position. If not, He's an easy transition to another spot. Yeah. He's tough. Yeah. It's, You'll uh, like 
Yeah, I'm excited to watch his film. I was going to do that after this. The uh, the quarterback room is is another position that's like getting a little bit crowded, especially with 2021 figured out. So mm-hmm. it, it's tough. You know, Michigan got on board with JD Johnson before. You know, obviously the complications came up. Um, but even so, I mean, you know, you, you got McCaffrey this year. You got Joe Milton, who was preparing for a while, um, and now you know he'll either be competing for a starting job, you know, I would still expect him to be uh, behind McCaffrey, but who knows? Um, besides that, you got Kay McNamara, you know, I think he was definitely a high four star. Um, and then, you know, in the 2020, 2021 class, uh, you got a five star quarterback. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a really good existing room uh, without a 2020 quarterback. And I like that they took someone. And if you're yeah. going to take someone there, especially with that quarterback room, um, it has to, you're not going to really get – I mean, J.D. Johnson was still a three-star. He wasn't a super high-rated guy. No. But I think that's that's part of the room. You know, you got to understand that it's going to be a guy who, who is confident, who, um, you know, is willing to fight that and not expecting to start right away. And I think just with the landscape we're at, most five-stars – are expecting to get a shot They're, you know, if not the first year, their second year. So it's really tough, especially, you know, with someone dropping out um, late in the class, quarterbacks are usually one of the first positions you get locked down. So to grab someone late, um, you know, I, I have no issues with that. And I agree with taking a quarterback. I'm glad they did it. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's a flyer, just because, you know, it's a very volatile position where you could have transfers at any minute. So I think it, yeah. it's it's the time. Uh, it was the situation to take a flyer. Um, I like that it's someone from a – he's from New York, right? So someone from a not very talent-rich uh, um, place. So it's not like he was, you know, uh, in a town – like he wasn't getting scouted a whole lot, at least from what mm-hmm. I could tell. Um, yeah, he's from Long Island, New York. Okay. So there's not a ton – but when I was when I was watching him, I, I looked up his stats. He had I think 160 carries for 1,522 yards, yeah. 23 touchdowns, and then he had 13 touchdown passes, one interception, and like 20 yards of completion. Yeah. So very very productive guy. the The talent level of Long Island obviously has to be taken into account. Yeah. But the kid balls. I mean. Pitt, Wisconsin, most of the MAC, they they were sniffing on him late. Yeah, I think this might be a guy that really just came on late. He's twenty three and one as a starter in high school. Um, was the Nassau County, I think, Player of the Year. He he's a guy I'm willing to take a flyer on. He he's got the attitude. Yeah, yeah, and, and like like we said, it's 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 the time. If there's ever a time for a quarterback flyer to take, mm-hmm. uh, that was the exact time. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. All right, give me – we got time. Let's talk about one more recruit. One guy we haven't talked about yet uh, or haven't covered too much that uh, that you're excited about that um, you think is going to be going to be a guy. Okay, so the, there's a couple that, that immediately run through my mind. I mean, Braden McGregor, I think, is – I mean, the comparison to Aiden Hutchinson is almost too easy. Right. <laughs> so appropriate. Um, basically, similar similar builds, 
um, recruiting rankings, yep. both from in state. Um, I'm just, I mean, I, I like Moran. I, I really do like a lot of what Michigan did this class. Um, there, there are a few guys that I'm not huge on, but I think an under the radar guy that I really, really love is Matt Hibner. Mm. I really like Matt Hibner. Uh, very productive guy out of uh, Virginia. I think the Virginia Beach area, um, Lake Braddock High School. And I was, I was, I'm doing a scouting report on him right now, and I'm not sure. Are you, are you aware of how Michigan um, found Matt Hibner? I'm not. So I'm, I'm trying to think. I think it might have been Chris Partridge. They assigned him a new area. Because Washington left, he goes to the high school, starts like just chit chatting with coaches, doing his due diligence, just watching some film, and all of a sudden he's just watching film, shooting the shit with these coaches, and he sees this dude, this wide receiver. Yeah, he's like, I like who's that? Like that's that's Hibner. At the time in the film, he's six four, one ninety five. <laughs> so Partridge comes back, he works him out. Uh, I'm probably butchering the story a little bit, but uh, Matt Hibner ended up putting on 40 pounds between the end of his junior year and May going into his senior year. Wow. So he went from 190, 195 to 230, 235. Yeah. So he's someone that was under the radar because he was so undersized and was able to put on so much weight and carry it well. Yeah. He's a tough kid. He's going to be a tough blocker. He can catch, and just I'm a really big fan of guys that slide under the radar for so long for like one reason or another, undersized and hit a growth spurt to sport athletes. Like there's a difference between some dudes that you look at and like that are rated a little mid to high three star range, and you're like that makes sense, yep. and others where you're like that kid can play. Like what the hell's going on here? Right. So I think Kibner falls in the, like, what the hell's going on here? And then you, you dive into it, and the kid just, I mean, he, he's, I think, has one year at tight end. Okay, cool. Uh, he's got one year at tight end, and I just like him a lot. I yeah. think he's, he's good enough that I feel comfortable with them just taking one tight end. Uh, at this point, I believe Nick Patterson, Shay's little brother, people should – be under the impression he's not going to be a part of this class. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been for a few months now. Um, he'll probably end up at Memphis or Georgia Tech. Just not good enough. And, and you know what? That's fine. But Matt Hibner's a stud. Yeah. It, it's crazy if you look at his rankings. He went from the 45th best tight end and over like lower than 1,000 overall to 247 to up to 92nd. Uh, or a 92 rating, which equates to number seven tight end and just outside of 150 overall. That's like a 900 or like an 800. Yeah, yeah like a 900 increase. In the post-summer uh, recruiting adjustments, he, I think it was 830 spots he jumped. Yeah, it's insane. And, and it, it's – I like what you said about the story of a guy and not to, you know, hate on any player, but – when I remember when Ronnie Bell uh, committed and people were upset because he was a Missouri State basketball commit and because he was like a not ranked three star, right? And 
and then you looked at a guy who was like a Kurt Taylor. That was a guy who I used in my other example, who was from a very, yeah, of him too. Yeah. Who was a very talent, talent rich area. He went to almost every camp admittedly, you know, he loved Michigan. Uh, you know, I, I was happy for him, but not necessarily happy. He was in the class and now he's at, I think it's like Tennessee, t- Tennessee tech. So like, look at the story of a guy. And if you don't have a position, um, you're going to get ranked awkwardly because of that. And uh, a, a East Coast guy who just sprouted into a tight end who had like a tight end skill set kind of where he's like, well, we don't know if he'll get there. Right. That That's a believable story. That's a guy who has the measurables. You know, he has a four, eight, four, eight, 40 at adequate, you know, good size out of an area that doesn't get scouted heavily. That's a different three star from a guy who's you know in a talent rich area goes to a bunch of camps and just has some limitations elsewhere. And it was mm-hmm. you know same thing for the story for Ronnie Bell, super athletic kid, didn't go to any camps, was a basketball guy, no one scouted him, and he won what was it like the Kansas City Athlete of the Year, yeah, Football Player of the Year. So it's like, what's the story behind this guy? So I, I think that's mm-hmm. that's great to bring up about uh, about Hibner there. So I, yeah, I think I love seeing yeah. the guys that are like unscouted, like three stars get accepted early because those are dudes that, you know, that you're like, yeah, that dude can play yeah. as opposed to like you were saying the, the Kurt Taylors where it's like plenty of scouting done and can't really play. Yeah. I mean, you are who you are, right? There's a lot of guys who aren't who they are at the time and, and, and that's fine. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see about that, but, but that's, that's you stole my guy. I was gonna say, um, I'll be interested to see where <clears throat> Eamon, Den- Eamon Dennis actually, <clears throat> excuse me, actually lines up because he's another uh, East Coast guy. Um, not overly fast. I mean, he's got a four five forty, um, a forty inch vertical, four point three uh, shuttle time. So he tests pretty well. Those are you know. Those are good measurables. He had an Iowa offer. He had a Duke offer. So academics likely aren't going to be an issue. Um, But, you know, other than that, kind of a a generic three-star. He was utilized, you know, mainly as a wide receiver. We'll see. Um, He doesn't have too much of a scouting report I can see. but, But, I mean, he showed some athleticism at the defensive back position. So I'd be interested to see if he's a guy that Michigan immediately puts at cornerback and sees if that stick, uh, mainly just because of the, the lack of depth there. But, uh, mm-hmm. but I like the ball in his hands. I think he could be a future guy who they put back at, uh, at punt returns. Um, and I think that's one of the positions that, I mean, we'll see if, if DPJ Tariq black come back, but I think that's going to be an area that's really interesting to watch because, uh, because I don't know if it's readily apparent. Obviously, Giles Jackson got the nod at kick return, but uh, I think there's a, a couple guys, and I think Dennis could be one of them who are immediate yeah. impacts at the special teams uh, position there. Yeah, I gave I gave Dennis a Drew Dilio uh, comparison Ooh. when I when I scouted him. He's he's not someone that I think is going to put up just absolutely absurd production, but I think he's like a Swiss Army knife that you yeah. can in a lot of different places. He's a good player. And speaking of the wide receivers, um, I wish David were here. I believe on the last podcast, 
Uh, if you remember, we were talking about which of the receivers we may like that may leave. Yeah, I believe one of us said they expected Tariq Black to transfer. Yeah, that was a. Uh... I, <laughs> I wonder who I that was. <laughs> said, I think he's going to transfer, and you know what, uh, Steve, I will give you a break since you're on here. But uh, David Arnold, uh, eat some crow, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Looked at me like I was a little crazy. And what what happens? I mean, it's unfortunate. I don't mean to make too much light of the situation. Tariq Black, good kid. Yeah. Just needs a, another situation. But yeah. just wanted to – I get so many losses. and I'm wrong so much. I got to put up the win sometimes. Yeah. I, I got that sense too. Um, and I'm really bummed. That was the first – commitment video i ever made was for Tariq black i really? yeah i spent an all-nighter uh working on that one i i was on the phone i remember i got a call while i was in the airport at phoenix it was like two days before his commitment was set up and it was it was Tariq black asking uh for a commitment video so i talked with like him and his, his dad and his mom on the phone and it was like super exciting so that was and like the commitment was uh, showing the video on a big screen so like we're watching a stream of that at his high school like it's a stream going on watching the video play I was like so like we we had like I talked with them a lot so I, I was I was always rooting for him um, so yeah. I'm bummed but you know when you get two injuries in a class that's loaded with Nico Collins and and DPJ uh, yeah I mean like you said it's it just need a different situation especially with a different uh, offensive coordinator, you know, maybe the relationship isn't too strong there. So, so I'm pulling for the guy, but, uh, but it, it's interesting. And maybe the last, last discussion point is, um, mm. not hearing any, any guys declaring for the draft. I'm not sure if that's just a thing that we're, like people are focusing on the bowl game since it's a, a bigger bowl game this year with Bama. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you see the silence as, um, as a positive for those potential guys who, who, you know, potentially could be declaring to the NFL or, or do you think it's just kind of like a wait and see at this point? Wait and see, uh, draft grades won't be coming back for a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, I, I would assume that, um, both Nico Collins and Donovan people Jones have submitted their, um, names into the draft advisory board. Sure. Those decisions aren't expected back soon. Uh, it'll probably be before the bowl game, probably in about a week or so. Yeah. They'll get that back. And if they're both, no doubt, first-rounders, I'd expect them to sit out. I don't see that. Um, I think Nico's probably going to be a solid second. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones might actually go higher because of his athleticism and how he projects to the NFL. Um and that's also because I don't trust NFL GMs to do the right thing a lot. So yeah. it's more of an indictment on them and their obsession with the underwear Olympics than <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, if they get second to third round grades, I'd expect at least one of the two of them back. Yeah. Especially next year coming back in the offense, there could be um, some really good stuff going on. Yeah. But I don't know. It's with or without him. I'm actually at the point where I think the wide receiver room will be fine. I like Corn Johnson. I love Ronnie Bell. Yeah, the young guys have played well. It's I, I think the the program depth offensively is better than it's been probably since the 2005, 2006, 2007 seasons where there were pros all over the field. Yeah, 
There yeah, aren't many holes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think offensive line would be the, the main thing I would uh, need to see. But, again, I think there's – we're finally in a spot where I feel like we have a depth chart there where I'm confident we'll find the guys and good coaching uh, for development for a couple years now to get that in a spot. So I agree with you about wide receiver. I would, I would like – uh, at least one of them to come back, and I do think that'll happen. But uh, yeah, I, I I didn't know the timing of those grades and when they came back. But yeah, you're right; they would they would be foolish not to submit those. Yeah. So that'll carry some weight. But I think it's also a really strong draft year for Incredible. wide receivers. So that might have some sort of like you know they're not getting the proper draft grade because of the uh, unorthodox. Uh, level of talent in this draft. So so we'll, we'll have to wait and see there. All right. Uh, Harry, we we, uh, we went pretty long here. But uh, any final words about National Signing Day? Three, three words or less. What do you give the grade on Michigan's 2020 recruiting class? A solid B. I'm at a B plus. I think we're in agreement. Good, yeah. not great. A lot of potential. Yep. So that's all I got. All right, man. Well, it was good talking to you. Uh, as always, go blue. Follow Harry at Harrison Quinn ninety, and follow me on Twitter at Stephen Toski. Don't follow David at David Arnold Mi because he's not here. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, ask David why he was selling uh, fake doctor's notes to seventh graders. <laughs> That's that's where he's been. He's been in jail. He hasn't been studying for the bar. Yep. Selling fake doctor's notes to seventh graders. <laughs> just just tweet at him, are you out of jail yet? And hopefully we can confuse <laughs> confuse the hell out of him. Yeah. All right, Harry. You have a great rest of your day, man. You too. See you, Steve. See you, bud.